Today we're wrapping up our I Never Said That series. Now one of the most magical and maybe just flat out one of the greatest phrases in the English language are these three words, happily ever after. That is how we want our stories to wrap up. Every novel we read, every movie we watch, we've got a hope that as the drama unfolds, as the crisis swells, as the tension ramps up, that at the end of that emotional roller coaster, that whole storm will wrap up with a happily ever after. Not every book ends that way. Not every movie ends that way. And when they don't, we tend to walk out of the theater saying, man, I didn't like that ending, right? We want our happily ever after. The villain getting what they deserve. The hero and, and the damsel riding off on horseback into the sunset. The, the wicked, powerful adversary getting what they deserve. Um, the just when you thought all was lost, that underdog rose up and triumphed against all odds. That's what we want. We want our happily ever after. Um, which story do we want that ending for? We want it for any story. <laughs> I mean, we want happily every, ever after for any story. We want it for every story. And that's why I think when it comes to that perhaps greatest question of all, is there life after death? Or what comes next after this life? I think that's why this idea has gained traction in our culture, seems to be picking up speed by the minute, and it goes like this. All paths lead to heaven. Um, or all paths lead to God, maybe. Um, we want our story to end that way. We want we want it to end in heaven. We want it to be that eternal, happily ever after. And there is perhaps no more tension-filled drama than the question of what happens after someone dies. What happens? Is there anything? And we want this story to end up with a happily ever after. And that's why I think this, this, this belief, all paths lead to heaven, is gaining so much traction. The problem is God never said that. God never said that all paths lead to heaven. So you can write that down on your bulletin this morning. And we're going to explore what that means this morning. So what did God say? But here it goes. You may have heard someone say all paths lead to heaven or some version of that, some iteration of that. God would reply, I never said that. <laughs> it's just not, it's not in the Bible. It's nothing God said. And I would say there is, um, there's a, there's a, when you think about it, there is a pretty big difference between those two phrases, all paths lead to heaven, and the phrase or the idea, all paths lead to God. Pretty big difference there. The Bible clearly teaches that everyone will go to God. All paths, in essence, they do lead to God. Every Christian, every Buddhist, every Jew, every, every Muslim, they will come before God. That's what the Bible does teach. Now, not all paths have the happily ever after, um, the Bible tells us that everyone will go before God, but then some will go to heaven and some will go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches us. So there it is. Hell. 
that's not a happily ever after. And that concept of hell, that idea, that belief, that doctrine, that generates some pretty strong emotional reactions these days. Uh, Depending on what you believe, that notion of hell will either anger you, will embarrass you, or will sadden you. For a lot of folks that are not Christians, that that don't believe in the Bible, um, um, you know, a lot of them may not care about hell or heaven or any of that other stuff because that's what Christians talk about. But a lot of them, it does make them angry. A lot of them do respond by anger with this notion of hell. I mean, you mean to tell me that because I'm not part of your religion, I'm going to hell, or because my lifestyle or my belief set doesn't match up with what you think is right, that you're saying I'm going to hell? And it just makes them angry. It just makes them angry. That someone or that some group that they don't even know, that they don't even have a relationship with possibly, would say or believe you're going to hell. It makes them angry. And at a time and place, you've got to realize where we're at in 2016 in the United States. At a time and place where we as a culture value tolerance almost above anything else, maybe not above anything, but, but we really value tolerance. A person's right to think what they think, believe what they believe, do what they want to do as long as they don't hurt anybody, and not be judged because of it, that's our idea today. Then this notion of hell, yeah, it makes people angry. And then there are this other group of people who when it comes to this idea of hell are, are just embarrassed and I would say that this group is, is mostly a group of people who, who admire Jesus, who perhaps love Jesus, who, who, who would likely call themselves Christians. But this whole idea of eternal punishment seems so wrong and old-fashioned and out of touch. So there is a lot of effort going on and a lot of different Um, scholarly communities and other places, a lot of effort to kind of redefine this idea, this part of the Christian faith, reinterpret the Bible in in new ways that don't include this, this, this hell stuff. Because it's just kind of weird. Hell is just kind of weird to them. It's just kind of embarrassing. And and frankly, they would even say it's a stumbling block to evangelism. It turns people off. Uh, They would say it's obsolete, it's indefensible, it's inconsistent with with what you say is God's love. So there's pressure to to update this outdated belief and create this new happily ever after theology. Everybody in the end ends up going to heaven. And finally, there are people who are, when it comes to to hell, are just, just saddened by it. I'm one of these people. I believe that hell is real. And that makes me, just makes me despair. Um, Every person, I believe, is created to know God, to experience His love, to live with Him for eternity. And the fact that many won't enjoy that, that many will be eternally, permanently separated from God, that makes me very sad. Now, ultimately, what, 
what matters, what counts, I think we would agree, is not what the majority of Americans or the majority of people believe, but is what is actually true. So what we're going to do, this is what we do here. We're, we're a church of Christ. We're going to go to God's Word and see what God's Word, what it says is true about this. And it is most clearly presented when it comes to this question of eternity, most clearly presented by Jesus, the Son of God Himself, who came to show us God's love, to teach us about God's love. He taught over and over again in his ministry that life is short, that your life here is short. And Jesus taught very clearly, and the New Testament teaches clearly, there are no do-overs, okay? Um, So number one, what did Jesus teach about eternity? What does the Bible teach about eternity? First, life is short here. We tend to think this is it. We tend to think, you know, this is the real world. The Bible says, eh, this is a vapor. This is here in the morning. It's going to burn off. It's, it, this is very short expiration date on this place and on our earthly bodies. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, just as man is destined to die, how many times? Once. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that, face judgment. Um, so no reincarnation, no do-overs. Uh, you don't get to spawn like you do on a video game or something and come back because you messed up last round. Um, we are going to die once. We're going to face judgment. That's what the Bible teaches. And Jesus actually told stories. He told parables about that, about that very idea Um, He told a parable about a rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. Uh, The rich man lived this selfish life. He wanted to create heaven for himself right here in this earth, surround himself. It was going to be a little piece of heaven right there in his world. So he devoted himself to his own personal happiness, was incredibly selfish, ignored the poor, ignored this beggar, who was at his front door, who would love to have just had a scrap of food. They both died. Everybody dies, by the way. I hope that's not a a spoiler for you. Everybody dies in the end. And there was no second chance. In fact, that's really the point of the parable. There wasn't. That was it. Um, The poor man went to paradise. The rich man didn't. There was a parable that Jesus told about, about a wedding feast. That was probably the coolest thing you could go to in those days, the best party. I mean, that was the social event of the year, Um, the food, the dancing, the music, everything. There was this wedding feast, and there were these ten virgins who had been invited to this wedding feast. And you remember that a portion of these virgins did not come prepared. They had little lamps that they were carrying. They didn't bring enough oil So while they were waiting outside for the bridegroom to arrive and everybody goes in for the feasting and the music and all the greatness, they had to go shopping for oil. And Jesus says, while they were out shopping for oil, the bridegroom showed up. And the other virgins in the wedding party, they go inside, they feast, they're having a great time, the door is shut, they return, they can't get in, they are permanently locked out. It's just over for them. So Jesus was doing what? He was constantly urging people to kind of carpe diem, to to live well now, to not count on tomorrow, 
to, to do what you can today, to not put things off. He says, either way you choose to live, death is going to come, or the end of days is going to come. Be ready for that, Jesus says throughout his ministry, because life is short. Now, he taught that there will be a judgment, a reckoning. Matthew 25, the parable, anyway. A reckoning, a judgment. He taught in many places about this. He taught that not everyone after that judgment will get a happily ever after. In our brief lives here, those choices that you and I make, those decisions that you and I make, Jesus says, those will influence our eternity. Those will have consequences that will go on forever. Now, this is a big hang-up, right, for a lot of people. I mean, we don't like this stuff about God judging and destroying people. And we really get caught up. I think we, everybody kind of gets caught up in a sort of, well, not a sort, in a clear contradiction here. Because we, everybody, everybody is asked, why is there so much evil in this world? Why does God allow this to happen? Why does God allow those people to do that? Why is God... Why isn't God getting involved? And so we say that, um, there, and, and some people go from there, there must not even be a God after all. So essentially, it's really kind of funny. God is this hell stuff, this eternal, this judgment. Hell, uh, God is more severe than we think he should be. And God is more patient and forgiving. Why don't you do something? More patient and forgiving than we think he should be. Really, whatever he does, he can't please us. But here's what we find in the scriptures. This is that second thing there. So, our choices in this short life will have eternal consequences. Every person will be judged and will go to heaven or hell. Here's what Jesus said. Among other things, Jesus taught in Hebrews, or rather Matthew 13, at the end of the world, the angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace. And finally, so Jesus finally talks about hell as a reality that we need to take very seriously. In fact, no one, think about this, no one in the Bible comes close to talking about hell as much as Jesus talked about hell. Nobody. It was a subject he spoke about often. It was a subject he spoke about passionately. Um, it is talked about by Jesus in all four of the Gospels. And eternal judgment appears in the letters of Paul, of Peter, of John. Uh, it appears in the book of Revelation. But again, the clearest, once again, the clearest, boldest affirmations about the reality of hell come from Jesus. So let's talk about that. Number three, let's talk about hell. Jesus wants for you and I, for every person, to be prepared for what he, more than anyone else, for what he knows is to come. So Christ tells us that hell first, he says it is a reality that must not be ignored in his ministry. It's real. Um, 
Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says this, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. If Jesus didn't believe in hell, that's awfully confusing. I'd say it's more than confusing. It's just a, a lie, you know. So he believed in it. He taught the reality of it. He, he knows us. He knows what we hope for. He knows what we desire for. He knows what we love. He knows what we fear. Um, he knows that we fear a lot of things. We fear what other people think about us. That determines, to some extent, how we dress and how we talk and how we present ourselves. We have fears about our finances. You know, are we going to be able to pay our bills this month? Are we going to be able to pay for college? Are, 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 we have fears about contracting a terminal disease or someone we love contracting a terminal disease. We have fears about, for our country. You know, it's an election year, so a lot of people have fears about it. We fear a lot of stuff. <laughs> and Jesus comes along and looks us straight in the eyes, and he says, don't be afraid for what may or may not happen in this very brief time on earth. What you should take more seriously than any other fear is that reality, that permanent reality, that eternal, eternal reality, that reality that's coming next. Unless we think God sadistically, cruelly, invented hell to, to like torture human beings because he like delights in human misery. Lest we think that, Jesus tells us, and this is often forgotten when we talk about hell or think about it, Jesus tells us that hell, next bullet point there, was designed for the devil and his angels. That's what it was designed for, the devil and his angels. But Jesus tells us it will be experienced by all who choose hell, who choose hell. To reject God. He says in Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And I hadn't really noticed that before. A, a couple of years back, I saw that for the first time. I was like, wow. So Jesus is sharing like the original intent of hell. It was not designed for people. It was designed for Satan. It was designed for the minions of Satan. And at the same time, there will be people who will go to hell because ultimately, in his love, God leaves that decision about where you will spend eternity. He leaves it up to you. Now, a lot of folks find it absolutely revolting that a God of love would send anyone to hell, or inconceivable that a God of love would send anyone to hell. But what we have to come to terms with, I think, is that God's love demands the necessity of hell. So I hope you'll pay close attention here, because you may be going, what? Pay close attention. God, and, and I think we know this, really, when we think about it. He loves us. The Bible tells us he loves us more than we know, loves us more than we love ourselves. He loves us, and he wants for us to love him back. It's all about relationship from the Garden of Eden on. He wants us to love him back. Love demands, and everyone knows this, true love, love demands that a person have the freedom not to love back. 
Love demands that. Otherwise, it's not love. Love doesn't force. Love doesn't oblige. Love doesn't demand that another person love back. Uh, Every guy who has ever chased a girl knows that you can't force that girl to love you back. Um, That's why maybe the vilest, cruelest, most demeaning crime is rape. Love never demands by force what is not freely given. That's not love. That's something else. Now, if you truly love, then you can desire someone. If you truly love, then you can seek their affections. If you love, you can do everything within your power to woo them, to win them. But the one thing, if you love them... The one thing you cannot do is force them to love you back. And we know that. If a person goes to hell, it is ultimately and finally because God is honoring their choice. Their decision to not love him. To reject him. Now... One more, I think this is really important. So one more kind of illustration. Look, if you're a parent, you'll understand this. Um, You can do a lot for your kids. You can't make your kids love you. You can't do that. Um, you, You can't force. If your son grows up and moves away and hates you and wants nothing to do with you, um, what can you do? Well, there are things you can do. Um, You can call every week and hope and pray that your son picks up. You can write letters pouring out your heart, how you feel, how much you love them. You can send letters off to your son. You can can send money to make sure that that your son doesn't experience wants that they are provided for. You can can go to DFW and catch a flight to Boston or wherever and, and drop in and hope your son answers the door, hopes that, 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 that they let you in and listen to you as you pour out your heart. You can do all of that. What you cannot do, what you cannot do, if you really love your child, is to drag them back home, kicking and screaming. What you cannot do if you love them is to then tr- turn their room into a prison cell that they cannot get out of. What you cannot do is, is force them to love you back. That would be kidnapping. That's not love, okay? God doesn't work that way. God is, is love. God will woo. God will win. God sends his son to die for you. Um, Peter Kreeft, who is a philosophy professor at Boston College and who is also a Catholic, writes about some of these ideas. I'll just quote him. Kreeft says, those who do, do not wish to love God must be allowed not to love God. Those who do not want to be with God must be allowed to be separated from him. So the truth is, God doesn't want people to go to hell. Jesus tells us he didn't design hell with human beings in mind, but he will let you go there if that's where you choose to go. The unfortunate, it's unfortunate that many have this idea of hell 
So it's like this eternal torture chamber that God designed so that he could inflict pain and suffering on people he doesn't like forever. Really, hell is a place simply where God isn't, where the presence of God just, it's not there. It's a place where people go who don't want to be with God. Um, It's the alternative destination for those who don't love God. And that raises a couple of questions, and I mean good questions, that we can wrestle with, that we can talk about. Um, you know, what about people who live and die, and they're like on some island in the South Pacific, and they've, ne- they've never seen the Bible, they've never heard anybody talk about Jesus before. What is God going to do with those people? That's a great question. And there's a lot of stuff out there. People have talked about this for ages. Um, We don't have time to go into all of that. Uh, I can tell you that when we have these kinds of questions, where the Bible just doesn't come out and give us, okay, here's the answer to that question. Okay? What we do when we have those questions where we don't have clear answers, the answers that would satisfy us, we lean into what we do know. We lean into what we, what we do know is God is love. What we do know is God is just. He doesn't make wrong decisions. What we do know is that God is, is fair. That's what we know. So we know those things. And while we can make some guesses on some of these really hard questions, we always end up needing to lean into what we do know. Basically, God doesn't make mistakes God is a judge who isn't going to mess up. Um, And we trust in that. We trust in his goodness. We trust in his love. And we need to take very seriously our mission, our calling to take the good news, the gospel, into our neighborhoods, into our mission field in DFW, and, and beyond that. And we are going to leave the rest up to him because we trust him. Another great question So what is hell like? (laughs) And on that one, the scriptures do have something to say. um, And we need to be open, we need to be honest in hearing what the Bible says about that. So write this one down. Hell, Hell is a place of final destruction. Hell is a place of final destruction. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9, Paul writes this. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting, what's the word there? Destruction. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out, the idea God is not there, they will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. One image Jesus uses, outer darkness. There's just no light. There's no goodness. There's no beauty. There's nothing good because God is not there. What is hell like? Um, Among Christians, there are three main views nowadays. Um, The first view is, well, what's hell like? It doesn't even exist. I mean, there are Christians who believe that hell is is just not real. Um, And I won't spend time on that because God would say, I never said that, okay? And we've seen that clearly. Number two and this is kind of the traditional view or the Middle Ages view, Um, it is that hell is real, yes, and that it is this place of eternal constant torment or eternal conscious suffering. 
Um, the idea that for millions and millions of years and exponentially more than that, for eternity, if a soul goes to hell, that soul will be perpetually sentenced to pain, to misery, uh, in essence, to be tortured. Um, the third view is that hell is a place where the evil are destroyed. And that destruction is eternal. There are no comebacks. Okay, It is eternal destruction. Um, not a place where you are eternally conscious and suffering. A place where those who have rejected God, the author of life, go and cease to be. Because there is no life there. There is no God there. Um, now let me be honest and upfront. <clears throat> you can open your Bible and you can study for years and years and you can find... You can find some places in the New Testament where you seem to find evidence for the second view. Um, you can find other places where you will seem to find some evidence and support for the third view that, that is a place of destruction. Um, what, I, what I can tell you is this. And go off, study that, read, come to your own conclusions based on what the Bible teaches. Great. What I can tell you is this, though. Um, both views can 100% agree on one thing. Hell is not happily ever after. It is terrible. Both views agree on that. Under any circumstances, no one is going to be better off there. No one is going to be glad they went there. So, whew, aren't you glad you got up and came to church this morning? <laughs> nice, upbeat, encouraging way to start your week off. Yeah, but we're not finished yet. And we do have some good news, so hang on a little bit longer. The main text that I want to work with, so lest you think this was all the introduction, we're gonna, it, we won't spend a lot of time here, but this really is the main text I wanted to work with this morning. And this is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 13. We'll take these questions to Peter here in his second letter. Let's just look at this. So starting in verse 3, most importantly, Peter says, I want to remind you that in the last days scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their... So this is a prophecy. This is a prediction. These scoffers, these mockers are going to come. They're going to make fun of the truth, okay? They will say, so whatever happened to that promise that Jesus is coming again? Um, from the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. But they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No. He is being patient for your sake. This is important. He does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come. It will come, Peter says, as unexpectedly as a thief. 
The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. As we close out, I want to unpack that a little bit. We learn quite a bit here. Um, one thing we learn, and Peter's very clear about this, is Jesus is coming back. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus lived. It, obviously not true. Peter's like, people are going to say that. People are going to make fun of that. He says, no, Jesus is coming back. Verses 3 to 4, in the last days, scoffers will come along. They're going to mock the truth, saying, what happened to that promise? That Jesus is coming back again. We're told that there will be enough time that will go by that, yes, that's going to happen. People are going to say that. People are going to make fun of that. Peter predicts that. Don't lose heart. He says, Jesus is coming back. Second, the ungodly will be judged and destroyed. The ungodly will be judged and destroyed. The day of judgment, verse 7, the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. When Jesus comes back, Peter says two things you can absolutely count on, two things that will happen. For those who have rejected God, they will be judged, they will be destroyed. All paths lead to heaven. No. Mm -mm. They all lead to God, yes. They do not all lead to heaven. Next, Peter talks about this, this delay, this time of delay. Once again, he kind of he talks a little more about that. Um, why is all of this taking so long? Where is Jesus? Um, so the next bullet point there is delay. Delay should not be interpreted to mean the end is not coming. Delay is not, is not saying the end is not coming. The correct interpretation for all this delay, God wants to give people more time to return to him. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't take joy in somebody being destroyed. Uh, much to the contrary. That's why all of this time is passing. Verse 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Finally, Peter says this, the earth will be remade for God's people, and it will be amazing. The earth will be remade, and it will be amazing. Verse 13, we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. The original world reboot. Remember Noah and the ark? Reboot by water. This will be a reboot by fire. And that's a good thumbnail sketch of what is to come. This fallen world full of hate, full of evil, full of bigotry, full of selfishness, full of disease, full of pain, full of injustice, this world will be wiped clean. This place is going to be bulldozed. The world as it was always meant to be will 
come to be, a new heavens and a new earth. Absolutely amazing, too beautiful for human minds to conceive, too beautiful for our language to describe, and that's what God has planned, and that's what he wants for you and me and for everyone to share with him for eternity. And there are room, there's certainly room for disagreements and discussions about the nature of hell. Okay, Room for that. Talk about that, study that out. Um, let me finish, though, by telling you two things that I'm convinced are true. Um, the first one is... I know that I personally deserve to go to hell. I know that. I know that I have lived a life of much rebellion to God. I have done so much wrong. In fact, I have no idea, if I'm going to be totally honest with you, I have no idea how much, how much sin I've actually even committed. I can't even give you a ballpark figure of how many sins I've committed. I deserve hell. That's the first thing I know. The second thing I know, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. I know it. I'm certain of it. Not because I'm cocky, not because I'm confident, not because I think. I'm confident in Jesus. <laughs> Very confident in Jesus. Uh, couldn't be more confident in Jesus Christ. And I begin to feel overwhelmed with gratefulness. I am amazed because of what he has done for me. Um, he went to hell for me, so I don't have to. He took my place on the cross. He took my punishment that I deserved. He paid my debt of sin with his precious blood so that I could be made right, so that I could be declared righteous, so that his righteousness could be counted as my righteousness by faith. Um, and the good news is that anybody who comes to Jesus Christ can have that certainty. He died for me. He paid the price. I'm going to be saved. Not because of me, because of him. He loves you more than you can begin to imagine. And that is the gospel. That's the good news, right? So this morning, and I get goosebumps. Just I get goosebumps that I get to preach about this stuff, really. It's so amazing. So this morning, will you accept the free gift of eternal salvation that is offered to you by the grace given you through Jesus Christ, offered to you through his sacrifice on your behalf. Will you believe on him? Will you repent? Will you turn away from your own path and turn back to God, offering your life to him by faith and being baptized into the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? To walk with him free of guilt and shame in a life powered by the Holy Spirit, will you do that today? You can do that. Or maybe you just need prayers today. Maybe you've gotten some bad news or it's been a hard week. You just need prayers. We'd invite you to respond as we stand together and as we worship.